This show is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Get more at nerdylegion.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Valiant Central Podcast, episode 138. I'm Martin. Paul's here, and we have a special guest. Eric Heiser is with us, the writer for uh, Secret Weapons, and uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. We'll get to that. Oh. I love that movie. I love that movie. It's so good. When uh, when I saw the the well, I heard that they were doing it, and I had read the short story that it's based on, and I was uh-huh. like, "This is going to be really tough to make into a movie." You're right, because it's one it's one of those stories that it's just, there, there's no concreteness to it. Right. Um, and I just I love the way that you you put it in a film. It was fantastic. Um, thanks for coming on. I, sure. I know we thanked you before, but I'm, I'll do it officially on the show. Uh, we're, we're very happy to have you. I know uh, Dinesh had a hand in that. Uh, Paul did a lot of the legwork. And uh, think Hunter, too, I guess. <laughs> Although, like, Paul, Hunter well, was like, the Paul. technicality. <laughs> <laughs> Dinesh said, talk to Hunter after I already set it up with Eric. So I said, well, let's hope Hunter says yes to this specific time that's already arranged. And, you know, lo and behold, he did. Yeah, 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 well, Hunter, Hunter emailed me, uh, I think it was Friday night. He's like, yeah, um, you, you guys are good to go, but if you could do 11, um, Eric has to push it back. And I said, yeah, Paul already talked to him. We're, we're doing 11. We're good to go. We're good to go. I love Hunter. He's awesome, too. Anyways, thanks for coming on. Uh, like I said before, we're not going to talk about Arrival the entire time, although I really could. Um, I, I just, that whole every time, time I thought somebody... you were talking about Final Destination 5. That's my actually man. that's actually one of my daughter's favorite movies. She loves that whole series. Awesome. Uh, my cousin fact, she wanted me to tell me. you that he loved the Nightmare on Elm Street movie. That, that she did. <laughs> oh, like legit. That's where we're gonna. We're he gonna he legit said that. Uh, he he and uh, he does a podcast on our network with his friend John, and they both loved that movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I cannot take credit for maybe just more than two percent of that movie. <laughs> Um, I guess just give us a brief brief history of, uh, I mean, really how you got involved with Valiant, but you, you've been writing movies and, and TV shows for, for a while. Uh, so yeah. just kind of, where, where'd you start and how did you make the transition into comics? Um, well, I guess my transition into comics came a little bit earlier because um, I had written this really big, fun uh, space opera uh, screenplay for like a feature film. And, uh, and of course, like no one would touch it. They're like, Eric, this is like a $200 million film. And let's be real. No one's going to make that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I did find a producer who was like, you know, there may be a backdoor into this, which is if you find a, um, a publisher that can make it like a graphic novel, then if it's an existing property, studios aren't so gun shy about it. And so that was shaper. And, you know, we found a home with dark horse, uh, and that was uh, an interesting experience for me just to be um, working in that medium uh, for that for that space. I had done one little offshoot comic for Boom back when they were doing Zombie Tales, uh, and uh, and I had a lot of fun with that. But it was just a little tiny mini issue, and this was the first time that I got to like have my own story and several issues to tell it in. Uh, but uh, I. Uh, I misunderstood early on. I thought I was going to get eight issues for Shaper. And when I turned into the script for three, he's like, all right, you're almost done. I'm curious to see how you close this out. I'm like, wait, what? Wait, uh, no, we're barely at the halfway point. Oh, God, hang on. 
And I went back and I begged and begged and begged to get a little more time. And they gave me a fifth issue, but it, uh, I don't know, it, it, it'll always feel rushed to me when I, when I look at that. Um, but, uh, I got along with uh, the editor over there and he, uh, I don't know why he thought this was a good idea, but he, he let me take a swing at, uh, their lone wolf and cub 2100 property. Uh, I had a very specific story that I wanted to tell about, um, the idea of when people, um, when people decide to stop thinking about other people as humans. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, in a weird way, I was, I was seeing that play out, uh, with some of the, uh, the people, friends of friends on my Facebook feed, when I got into talking about people who got incarcerated, uh, and that there's a weird mindset of people like, well, if you've gone to prison, I don't trust you ever again. And it's okay with me if you die there, like there, it's a weird mentality that people don't talk about too much, but that's under the surface of now that you're a con, I can't ever see you as anything else. And that, that, that scared the hell out of me because you know, that's, uh, that's just, I think it's a, it's kind of a necrotic thought process. Um, and it spread in other parts. Like I had a, um, a family member who suffered from mental illness and, he had a lot of trouble with that and would go into self-harm, but, uh, but he also occasionally uh, harmed others. And it wasn't, again, from uh, a place of malice or evil. It was that he was just unstable. And if he wasn't, uh, you know, if he wasn't either uh, treated or medicated properly, he could just become uh, a liability to himself and others. Um, but the moment that he hurts other people is when I saw other family members decide that, well, he should just get locked in a cage and, and, and left there. And, and it's a really harsh switch in people's head, uh, that I'm going way too far on this and I'm sorry, but it just, uh, that the lone wolf story was really about, they wanted to do a kind of zombie adjacent story of like a terrible thing, a terrible plague that's taken over the earth. And why I liked that was if you had a transformed population where a good two thirds or more were these horrible monsters. And the answer that everybody went for was, well, we will just, you know, we'll, we'll go nuclear and we will just annihilate as many of these possible and try to, bring back our population after that is all over. And then someone steps forward and says, Hey, I found a cure. This can be reversed. Uh, and then to those two schools of thought are then at war with another, with one another. And, um, and can you see someone who you think is a monster come back? Right. Interesting. Paul, did you pick that one up or not yet? No, I didn't pick it up. I uh, I had limited funds and something else I was already getting, but uh, I have a stack of comics at my is actually my last comic shop that I have tucked away where nobody will find them, and that's in that stack. Okay. Nice. So from there, how how did you end up working with Valiant? Um, I've been sent a um, you know, I've been I've been uh, made aware of. A, uh, a writing assignment that was to, they were looking for a writer to adapt Harbinger. Um, and my agent almost didn't send it to me because I'd been turning down comic book adaptations. Um, I just, I didn't find a connection with many of the characters in, in some of the, the big two titles that were out there. Mm-hmm. And I was, a, I was also a little leery of 
you can easily become just part of a giant machine there where you really aren't writing in your voice. You are writing in the voice of whatever executive or committee wants to make that film to be. Uh, and so I was worried about getting dragged into that. But they said, this is a Valiant title. And, and I think and I we had uh, memories of Valiant in the 90s. Like I picked up a handful of like Exo Man of War and Archer and Armstrong and stuff back mm-hmm. in the day. And I'm like, oh, those guys, I didn't know they were back. Um, and took a look at Dice Arts first book it was like the collection of the first uh harbinger stuff and i was pulled in right away um and i remember reaching out and saying this is like the closest thing to an american akira that i've seen in a long while hmm. uh and and i got excited about that i got excited about the idea of this you know kid of pete stanchek and a group of as as we find them to be renegades um uh, trying to make their way uh, in the world against uh, a number of larger forces. So sure. uh, I, I went and I just pitched my heart out for it. And, you know, and of course it was a bake-off, meaning that there were a number of other people that were up for that job. And so, um, you know, I just did what any screenwriter would do. I found out who the others were and I killed them off. Hmm. <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't do that. But uh, eventually I, you know, I did get the job and I immediately started pitching Dinesh, ideas for Livewire in particular, because I, I love that character so much. Um, and, and he had to remind me again that I wasn't writing the Livewire movie. I was writing the Harbinger movie. Uh, and eventually I'm like, well then I, you know, I'll just make you a book first is what I'll do. And, and he called me, he, he called me on it. So, so that's kind of how secret weapons got born. <laughs> I was just telling Martin when we did our episode last week as we talked about Secret Weapons, the the whole series so far, but three in particular. And I said that I thought just in those few issues that you did more to develop the character of Livewire and give her a more human depth than everything she's been in thus far in Valiant. Oh, man. Thanks. Oh, and which one of you caught the El Cabong reference? Say that again? Which one of you caught the uh, El Cabong reference? Someone got that. I don't think it was I don't one think, of us. No, I don't think it was one of us. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the uh, that's just a, that's an old Hanna Barbera joke that <laughs> I, I snuck in there. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I remember that joke now. I don't have the comic in front of me. Yeah, that was. Yeah. Nice. Um. Sorry, it's late here. We're we're a little more tired. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're here for uh, well, you really we got uh, we got secret weapons to, to dish. Uh, Dinesh doesn't realize the the monster he's unleashed. I hope you guys like ice cream because I brought scoops. Awesome. Yeah, we're uh, so I mean, Dinesh hinted on Twitter about issue number five, which is definitely something that we want to get to. Um, so where do we want to start with uh, with the secret weapons conversation, Martin? Should we talk about what's come already or talk about this the news? You have to give me one sec. I'm I'm, I'm having audio issues now. Apparently, uh, oh. it's good our thing recorder, I'm recording too. our recorder just quit. Are you recording? Yes. Okay, good. Okay, then never mind. Let's continue. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no. Oh, All right, cool. You're, I guess we'll start off part. by talking about the three issues that we have out so far. So the issue three just came out last week, so we have a few weeks to wait before we get issue four. Um, which up until recently we thought was uh, the end of what we were getting. Uh, and, I mean, we know issue five hasn't been solicited, but Dinesh 
is uh, really good at pretending to accidentally let stuff slip really purposefully. So he said on Twitter, ask about issue five. Um, <laughs> well, let, okay, the, let's, let's not talk about issue five yet. Well, that's what I said. Let's talk about the first three so far. Okay, good, have okay so far. good, good, good. So my, my first impression, we read number one, and I said, this is really good and new and fresh, and it could either go really strong or it could kind of end up going a little too lighthearted and cheesy. So we'll see what happens. Issue two, I just that made me think, okay, this is going in a strong direction. I like where this is going. But issue three, um, and we talked about this on the last episode. Uh, I DM'd you some on Twitter about it, but uh, not only does the story keep going in a really strong direction, but some of the the subjects that you you approach the certain subjects that especially today are very heavy. Um, but without making it feel like you were aiming for those necessarily or being preachy about it. I just thought that issue three was amazing in the way that you addressed those, uh, you know, uh, I'm blinking on every word I just had in my head now. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, well, I mean, you. racism and, uh, and uh, what's the word for it? Um, I mean, we're really just general prejudice, right? Yeah, prejudice in general, yeah. So uh, yeah. just the way you approached all this of police brutality and, I mean, so many different things were approached, but without it feeling like I'm making a story to say these things, it was more like this is just happening in the story and I'm the one that is showing you what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, it's an interesting um, world to, to tell a story uh, in at this point in time because, um, you know, in the past – uh, Syots had a bit of celebrity. They had, um, you know, a bit of heroism attached to them uh, with like people like Faith and heck, even a number of Harada's Eggbreakers and to a lesser extent, uh, Pete's crew. Uh, they, you know, they weren't considered uh, threats or villains, but it, you know, the way that I've seen public sentiment just turn on a dime, especially on social media is the moment something unfortunate happens, you find out how many people were secretly harboring some ill will toward, heck, any group that's different from them. Mm-hmm. And in particular, a group that has power the way that psyots do, you know? Uh, so I thought, what a terrible time to be Avi <laughs> in, <this whole, laughs> in this whole world where um, they may have tolerated uh, just as a bare minimum his, uh, you know, his otherness of being a Sikh. But uh, the moment that they have a better excuse to uh, to confront him, it, that makes him uh, a real danger. So, uh, you know, that was uh, that was something that I just found myself in the third issue going, well, I know we need Avi back and he doesn't realize the trouble that he's in now. Um uh, so it, it it was a more a case of every time I got deeper into the story, I was like, oh, well, yes, of course the cops are going to show up. This is not going well for our kid. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too, because the whole the whole team is so diverse. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You've got very many different ethnicities, um, but those things never come up within the group itself. Um, it's like, you know, I was telling Paul last uh, last episode when we talked about Secret Weapons 3 how much this reminds me of like old Claremont X-Men where wow. those abilities really kind of are used as a mean to talk about real world issues. Um, and that's why it doesn't feel preachy when those things come up, right? Because they're not, they're addressed head on, but at the same time w- w- in a different perspective. 
I know you said wow, like that, that's a big compliment. And I, I got to tell you, Secret Weapons is my favorite Valiant book right now. I think Paul probably agrees. Um, there's just there's just so much depth in what's going on, and and a lot of what makes it stand out for me is I love story, right? But to me, character is more important, and the the story will follow if you have really strong, approachable characters, right? And, yeah. and and Nikki and Owen and Avi are all really really approachable. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess Rexo and Scavenger to some extent, um, although we we haven't seen much of them. And, and Scavenger kind of reminds me of like a, a mustache twirling villain, a little yeah. bit. Uh, but I really like that, right? Because it, it fits the narrative of the story. Um, and of course, I love Amanda. Amanda's always been one of my favorites. So, nice. um, yeah, I, I actually had a question about where these characters came from. Are these like your original creations? Were these things that were lying around the office? Uh, was Raul and Patricia involved in creating these characters? How do, how do these guys come about? Uh, these were characters that I had invented for um, a, uh, a champions role-playing game back when I was a teenager. Wow. Uh, and, uh, and I've carried them around with me for a very long time. Uh, a little bit like orphans in their own right, not knowing what story I would find a home for them. Uh, and then uh, and then when I had the opportunity to talk about writing a book that featured Amanda, uh, I realized, wait, this is where the kids go. This is where the, the Misfits team that I built way back when um, gets a chance to shine. Uh, so there was a there was an air of me being able to come back and inhabit the the minds of these characters that I had played around with for, mm -hmm. you know, a couple of years of my youth, but now with a much better understanding of, well, of character and of you know, sort of a, a deeper connection that these, these kids would have with each other that, um, that I really, uh, you know, I was a little too immature back in the day to, to understand. Mm -hmm. Got a few questions about the abilities. Oh boy. All right. So, so one of the, the big things that you play on, um, and this has kind of been one of the, the subplots, right, that these are Harada's discarded Sayats, where maybe their abilities don't really matter, or he thought they maybe didn't matter. Correct. Uh, although I've heard some theories that, uh, well, anyway, I, I'm not going to get into that. that. That's from another podcast. Um, <laughs> as, as we saw in the, in the third issue, though, even though their abilities may seem a little kooky, once they start getting a hold of what it is that they can do, all their abilities are really, really strong. Like Nikki's use of the birds to uh, help them fight the, the cops that attack Avi. Mm -hmm. That's really powerful. Um, Owen's power has been a kind of a joke the first couple of issues. Mm -hmm. But with this issue, we start seeing that maybe it's not so jokey, right? Like he's not always just pulling bras out of thin air. Right. Um, and then Avi, of course, uh, I think that was the biggest revelation in, in the latest issue where, yes, he can only turn to a statue and he can't move. Right. But mm -hmm. if with some control and forethought of the situation that he's in, it also can be really powerful. Yeah. W why choose these abilities? And I, I also have a question about Owen a little bit uh, farther down the line, H okay. his power. Uh -huh. um, but. Why do you think these were the correct abilities for these characters? Were they, were they always the powers that they had, or did you feel like that just kind of fit the narrative here in this story? 
I had a fascination with these powers for a while. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess it was a matter of me uh, spending a little more time with them to feel confident that this was the, the set of powers that I wanted to invest in. And a lot of that, a lot of that came from my, I, you know, I've been in the film and TV business for a while and seen um, the biggest spike in anything uh, behavior wise here is impatience. Mm. People, people have lost patience in a lot of different aspects of business and of in, uh, end up consuming products, consuming entertainment products. Like they, they want, they want something that they can fast forward. They want something that can get to whatever it is that they're excited about and, and avoid whatever it is that they don't like. Um, and, and I thought more and more about um, the pressures that Harada might have in his company to get a team in place to, against a number of foes, including now Omen and, you know, Rising Spirit and all the other competitors that are out there, um, so the um, you know, clashing with him. Um, and he has lost patience with uh, activated psyots that he doesn't immediately see a need for. I think that's what uh, that's what these kids are feeling is not that they were really useless. It's just that the amount of time it could have taken for him to turn them into something good. He just didn't want to spend that time. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So o Owen's ability. Yeah, he, he's a, he's a conjurer, mm -hmm. but he hasn't been able to control things. So one of the theories lying around has been that maybe future Owen is kind of sending past Owen back some of these items um, to, in order to be used in a particular situation. All right. How, how, how much weight do you give that theory? I mean, obviously you're the writer, but you don't have, you don't have to tell this for sure. Um, not a lot of weight. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. There is just maybe a sliver of something in that, but it's just a sliver. Cool. That works for me. You want to talk about uh, issue five a little bit, Paul? You want to go there? Well, before that, uh, with Avi's power, was that uh, inspired by Tanuki Mario? Because that's the first thing I thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. That was, again, another one from way back when, when I was like <laughs> 17. Uh, before. <laughs> When he jumps and turns into the statue and breaks the kid's leg, it made me think of when you're Tanuki Mario and you could jump above a turtle, turn into a statue, and it'll kill it instead of just like bopping it into its shell. <laughs> this is why I came on here, Paul. This is, this is what I like. Another theory busted. Boom. All right, so so the next tease that there's going to be more. Uh, this was planned as a four-issue mini. Now it seems maybe there's more. Do you wanna you wanna talk a little bit about that? I don't know. Dinesh likes to talk. Here's the thing about Dinesh. I love Dinesh. Yeah. But Dinesh always likes to throw these things out there, especially to to writers and artists, and put them on the spot. And I always feel bad because he used to do it only at like conventions, at panels, mm. and that's not that big a deal. It's a small group. But now he does it on like podcasts. He does it on social media, and that's a much bigger group. To be fair, Eric's had a week to prepare for this, so. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so, how much can you tell us about the future of this book? 
Uh, I can tell you some things, uh, okay. and I uh, and I'm excited about it. First of all, it's actually not an issue five; it's issue zero. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I had done as a writing exercise. I had written um, a lot of uh, uh, scenes and uh, pages for comic issue zeros for each of the characters in order for me to try and get into their voice properly. Um, and the most that I'd done uh, among those issues that I, you know, didn't expect to show anybody uh, was for was for Nikki. Uh, so I wound up. I think I was drunk somewhere with Dinesh when I pitched him the idea <laughs> of like a uh, um, a a book entirely about uh, Nikki and uh, and it's the it's a real it's a real gamble. This issue. This is not gonna feel like a normal book. Um, mm-hmm. It's a great big experiment of mine. So um, it therefore it's likely to really fail hard. <laughs> but um, but it's because I had all these moments in uh, in like a year in Nikki's life that I I found really emotionally compelling and um, incredibly informative to her character. And I wanted to do a character story that really highlighted all of these. Um, and the only thing I could look to as a possible touchstone was, um, I don't know if you know about the uh, like um, second a day for a year videos that are have been prop- cropping up. I think there are even apps for it that you can get on your phone. Yep. Um, one in particular was actually some of them were then modified into or turned into different other marketing tools. And, uh, the one that really broke my heart was one that was done for, um, uh, a refugee, uh, program. It was just a little girl who ends up becoming a refugee and you follow over like this course of maybe four minutes, a year in her life as, uh, you know, she starts in just a lovely middle-class family and then it just continues. It gets worse and worse and worse until, um, She's no longer she like she starts out with blowing a uh, candle on a birthday cake. And the last is she's in a refugee camp and part of her hair has fallen out and you don't know where her parents are. And someone gives her this really horrible, like dried up muffin with one candle and you realize the year has passed. Um, so I was like, that is brutal. But but it kind of achieves what I wanted to, to explore with Nikki. Um, and I proposed essentially a panel a day. Uh, issue that that focuses on a whole bunch of days in Nikki's life prior to um, issue one. And in fact, actually, the last few panels of this tie into issue one of Secret Weapons in a, a way. And so you get to see part of the story that you didn't get a chance to see in the first issue. So there's a nice little chain link. Um, and, uh, you know, and 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 Adesh, Thank God he went for it. So, you know, it. I, I may end up taking my artist down with me on this if it ends up being a failure. But um, at least we tried something different. No, that sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. Oh, right. Um, and yeah, here I am. I'm going to talk some more. Like the thing that I was really excited about because I like grilled him about all this stuff. Harada's process is just fascinating to me. Um, and the, the idea, first of all, like surgical activation. OK, that's that's kind of cool. And I want to talk a little bit about pre-op and then I want to talk about like how, how is it went on that day? Uh, mm-hmm. but, but beyond that, you got to understand that once you're activated, like, like I, I, we have the kids that he obviously didn't know what their powers were. That's something that he never has a, uh, like a sort of a prophetic knowledge of what they're going to get. 
therefore, there has to be something called discovery training, which is, all right, right. you're a Syat now. What the hell is your power? So here we go. <laughs> this will be fun. We're going to drop you from a helicopter and see if you can fly. Uh, we're going to shoot at you. Uh, we better put you on with a bulletproof vest just in case you aren't bulletproof. Like all this crazy shit that, that has to happen that we don't realize happens. Right, and I'm like, right. I want to dig into that. I want to open up the parts of the process that we haven't seen before and just fucking go all in and show what a brutal year that this girl had until it got to the point where that basically she – obviously she discovers what her power is and Harada's like, wow, what a waste. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that. Yeah, you know, we've seen that in like TV shows that deal with, with heroes finding their powers. You do see that. But for some reason, you rarely ever see it in a comic book. Yeah. And I don't understand why that is. Like maybe maybe as comic book readers, we're more willing to accept the fact that it just kind of happened. Right. Yeah. <laughs> maybe in TV, it's such a, a much wider audience that you kind of have to explain it for like the parents and grandparents. Maybe. I don't know. Um, that's cool. I like that. That's awesome. What about what about the rest of the characters? We're not going to see those kind of stories for them as well. I will. I mean, you never say never. Uh, this sure. is the one issue they gave me. If if it works out, then I may come back with another harebrained scheme to to do the Owen issue zero and the Avi issue zero, and uh, and then maybe even a, a Harada one, so that we get a you know a flip side of the coin and see where he was coming from and what information he had. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So you're you're going to be working on Harbinger Wars two. Oh yeah. Would you? Do you, would you like to do more secret weapon stories before then, or will we not see these characters until maybe that time? Um, I would, you know, I'd love to do some more with them. I don't want to do uh, more book series with them without Raul and Patricia. I mm-hmm. need them. I need them as part of the team. They get the characters, uh, and we have a good shorthand. So. Um, it's about making sure that I don't work them to death. <laughs> uh, and therefore, if we need a little break and therefore, and the next time we can use them is for Harbinger Wars 2, then so be it. But if we can get in more issues, uh, gosh, if I, if, 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 gosh, if you can even turn into like an ongoing, that would be great. I haven't heard anything yet. You know, it's there. They're more closed lipped on that than Netflix is with their sure, sure. their shows. So uh, it, you know, we'll see how the numbers uh, work out for uh, issue four or the trade or whatever. I don't know what they're waiting on, but um, I'm still crossing my fingers that we get to so, come back. I, I don't know. I can't remember the exact number uh, for the first issue, but if I mean, I know for sure it was the number one independent title for that month. Mm. Um, which is a pretty big deal. Nice. Um, I'll take it. I, again, I don't know what the number was. I'm not going to look it up now, but it, it was, it was really high, which is, which is great. I like that people are willing to give this book a chance, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think for, for us really hardcore Valiant fans, it really gives us, um, you know, the, the joke has become in the Valiant fan community. Uh, if Jeff, if Josh Dysart isn't writing it, it's not good. <laughs> right. uh, but but with this book i'm not i'm not hearing that you know it, it's kind of become like well it's either josh or eric that really can handle this 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 part of the universe um and i think that's great you know and that's not for everybody by the way 
Um, and, and whoever else tackles, you know, the, these Harbinger characters, they're also doing a good job. Um, that's just kind of how it is for some of the hardcores. And, uh, you know, some of them get upset a little bit sometimes when you try to shake things up and try something different. And I get that. Um, but, but I got to say, like, th- this is by far my favorite right now. So I, I will give him that. I will give him that. That means the world to me. Let me tell you, I knew I was coming in as a as a newbie, and I just had a whole lot of love for these characters in this world, and that's all I had, really. Sure. So it's it's well, nice to have new friends. But you know, like that doesn't always mean a bad thing, right? When when Valiant yeah. relaunched, a lot of those writers were kind of newbies. You know, my yeah. my favorite book when when the relaunch came about was Exo Man of War. And Robert Venditti was he had done a couple of indie books, but nothing major for anybody else. You know, and, and now from his run he's doing DC work. Uh so of course he's too busy to continue with other things. But uh you know, that doesn't mean anything. You're obviously you're an accomplished writer. Um and again, actually you know what? Let me I don't I don't know where Paul is, so I'm gonna sneak in an arrival question. <laughs> Be, because because in Secret Weapons number one, you have uh you have Rexo has his own language. And and obviously language is very important in uh in that movie Arrival. Yes. Um But but Rexo, I mean you're writing this book, right? Yes. I, I want I'm I'm very interested in in what how your passion for language ha- has shaped this thing. Um and I would say construct a language, but I don't know if you're like a, a Konglang geek. Um, I used to be back in the day. Uh, uh-huh. I'm not so much anymore. But uh, I'm I'm just very interested, you know, because it, the the two huge things that I'm I, I know you for um, really play a lot on language. Well, I you know I I I've had a fascination with that uh, dating back to um, well, like I I got that from my father. I grew up with a man who. Uh, was fluent in at least six languages and was constantly teaching himself new ones. Um, and I was um, uh, a witness to superior warp hypothesis, that's which I touch on in Arrival mm-hmm. uh, at, at one point because you know I had asked Dad a question and I could see him look at me like um, like I had spoken a foreign language. <laughs> and, it, and, I, and I realized that he was thinking in a foreign language at the time and had to switch back to English and translate what I had just asked him. Oh, uh, interesting. So uh, it made me wonder what he was dreaming in. Uh, and I mean, he just he would he would make his own little flashcards. And I'm, he still had stacks of them around the house. The last time I visited uh, and they would have like like German on one side and Aramaic on the other. So like he would learn a new language by by brushing up on another. No kidding. Yeah. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, it, that's always that's always fascinated me. You know, like the, the plasticity of, of the, the mind to like learn new things. Yeah. Um, so, so Spanish is my first language. Um, obviously, I, I speak English. I took uh, five years of German. So uh, don't nice. ask me to speak it, but I, I can read <laughs> it. I can read it and I can understand it. Um, and I took uh, two years of Italian, a year of Japanese. Um, so I'm, I'm not fluent and but two languages but i can you know i can get myself around uh in the other three and i always find that interesting because anytime i i try to communicate in one of those i think in that language and so the thoughts come out in that language um and even as i as i learn a new language i i never it's almost like i never think about it 
in like I never think about it in English if I'm trying to come up with something in German. Like in my mind, it's coming up in German. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just mm-hmm. so interesting that we're able to do something like that. You know, yeah. um, I, th- I think that was one of my favorite things about that movie, by the way. And I know you didn't write the, the story that it's based on, but you you did expand quite a few things. Um, and I just love that. It's just it's so fascinating. I can't. Oh. I, I was a little concerned when it when it showed up in Secret Weapons. Because I was like, man, I'm just trying to read a comic and now I need to go and like translate what he's saying. Um, <laughs> you really don't. I mean, that's but you why don't. Yeah, exactly. There. Exactly. Yeah, you don't. So that's great. That's great. Um, I don't know if I have anything else. I don't know where Paul went. I'm right here. Just oh, okay, good. Okay, good. Do you have I'll anything else for Eric? About Arrival. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I watched it last <laughs> night again, too. I was like, ah, I need to watch it again if I'm going to talk to Eric. Yeah, I wanted to try to find time to watch it this week, but it, it just didn't happen. Uh, oh, it's fantastic. Best it, movie of last year. The, the last Thank thing you. I wanted to bring up is, so, you know, you coming to Valiant and doing this was the first time I ever heard your name. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's probably true for a lot of Valiant fans. Uh, I mean, most people, unless you're kind of a film geek, don't really pay attention to who screenwriters are either. Uh, so we basically we don't. We, we don't know a lot about you. Uh, so... You've talked a lot about what you've done, but what about what's what do you like? Like uh, you write in comics now, so what, what comics floats your boat? That kind of thing. Well, I'm working my way through the uh, Eisner list, and I just devoured uh, Vision. That was an amazing That's miniseries. Yeah. yeah, I saw you tweet about that. That was a good one. Yeah, That's good. Damn, Tom King mm-hmm. and uh, a friend of mine uh, just turned me on to this massive graphic novel called. Um, my favorite thing is monsters, and, and it's an interesting it's it's an interesting format. It's like an, from the perspective of a 14 year old girl uh, whose uh, brother taught her how to draw, and um, and it's uh, like her life in the 60s uh, in, in, with a sort of a turbulent family and uh, a neighbor who gets murdered and some interesting like um, kind of coming of age story stuff that uh, just happens to be illustrated through metaphor of all these monster characters that she makes up. Very interesting. I'm looking at it right now on Amazon. Ah. Interesting style. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I'll have to be one to check out. This is kind of like, uh, like what a little bit like what Matt does on uh, Matt Kent on his stuff. Um, yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's cool. Matt and Jeff are, are pretty damned amazing. Right? Yeah. 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 I feel a little bit like uh, the smallest house on the block next to <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going through Department H right now, uh, Matt's book, and it's, uh, it's, it's pretty special. Pretty special. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else I had. I'm looking over these questions that people sent. We might have touched all the stuff. All right, here we go. No, I'm not doing this ice cream question. <laughs> all right, we're done. Um, <laughs> all right. All right, good deal. So, sorry, Chris, I'm not asking about ice cream. Um, any, any, anything you want to tease uh, that might be coming up? I know you're, you're busy with Harbinger Wars 2. You're, you're working on the script for the movies. Mm-hmm. How are the movie scripts going? There, yeah, they're going. 
Yeah, okay, okay, okay. MB. Um, All right. Hoping for some good news on one or both of them soon. So fingers crossed. Fantastic. Fantastic. What about what about other projects? You've got you're a busy guy. What else you got going on? I got uh, I got a few things going on. I got a few things that I'm juggling. Uh, you know, but uh, Valiant books are. Uh, where I go home to play, you know, at the end of my workday. This is this is the this is the project that I have in my garage that that gets all my love. Mm. Um, and and by the way, Harbinger Wars 2. Holy crap! There's some serious. I I can't believe they said yes to the, some of the things that I pitched them. So <laughs> buckle up, kids. Buckle up. Um, uh, no, I see. I'm uh, I'm also adapting uh, yet another Ted Chiang short story because I thought, you know, that was the hardest thing in my life to do. I'll do it again. <laughs> uh, and this one is uh, this time for a uh, for a TV series for for AMC Networks. Uh, and we are in early stages on that. And by you know early stages, I mean sort of like outline and pilot writing and arguing ad nauseum with everybody about what the show should be, um, which is how it starts. Um, and then um, I've got uh, I've got a couple of other projects that I can't talk much about, but I can say that the uh, the there was a uh, another adaptation I did of a Josh Mallerman novel called Bird Box, um, and I love Josh's novel so very much, and I poured all that love into my adaptation of it. Um, and uh, and that's finally getting made for Netflix, and we're in production now. So that should be out. I don't know when, and then I guess the next five years. I hope. That's uh, that's been tossed around for a while, right? It has. It's been a long gestating kind of thing that uh, people love, but um, we were at a uh, we were at a place that didn't know how to make a a really weird, scary movie. Uh, that wasn't for under five million dollars, and all took place mm. in a house, and was you know moderated by uh, Jason Blum. That's that's how that's how horror is now. If you if you say horror and the price tag comes in at like eighteen million, they're like, whoa, 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 <laughs> hang on, I don't think you mean horror. I think you mean something else. <laughs> uh, so they still just want shaky cams. That's a shame. <laughs> What can I tell you? That's, yeah, that's the footage. problem with the designation of horror nowadays. I was actually I did another podcast earlier today, and I talked about uh, Hellboy and about how if you really want to, uh, you know, stick that in a bucket, it's a horror book, but that's not what people think of as horror anymore. People just think of horror as like a scary, gory thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just real, real base level stuff, and that's not good horror in my my opinion. No, no, and I wrote this as something far bigger than something very transformative that uh, you know can can scare you later on. It doesn't have to scare you right away. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's the best kind. <laughs> that is the best kind. Let, let's wrap this up. We're gonna let you go. Why don't you, uh, if people want to find you, sure, online, where can they get? Where can they find you? Where can they find your work? Well, uh, you can pester me on Twitter at. Uh, at uh, Heiserer, I did the phonetic uh, spelling for my for my tag. It's H I G H Z U R R E R, and that's a that's a starting place. Um, and then uh, you can uh, dig up uh, screenplays wherever you find those online, and uh, then come bitch at me on Twitter about <laughs> it. That's, 
I, I still get I still get like hate mail on the thing uh, prequel. I get. Are you serious? I, get, I oh yeah, I get these riled up uh, people that are like you know you did a terrible job writing that screenplay. The CGI was awful, and I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> Do you think I actually wrote in a horribly like like animated sequence? Like I don't know. I don't know what people think, but uh, that's my life. I just realized I'm not even following you on Twitter. Shame on me. <laughs> I just followed you. Um, yeah, and, and I guess, you know, go ch- go check out uh, Shaper. Um, sure. I just ordered it. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. This won't do anybody any good, but uh, Dark Horse is having a comicsology sale that ends tonight. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> Too late if you're, uh, if you're listening. Wow. Wait, is that true? Let me, no, yeah, you know no, what? No, I'm not doing that. I'm going to go on Amazon and order the trade. Okay, that's what I'm doing. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining, Eric. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, next time I'll uh, not have Paul on here, and we can talk about uh, Arrival for two hours. <laughs> I didn't say you could talk about it. I was politely sitting. Well, you know, I don't I don't want to bore everybody else that like hasn't watched it. That's you know what never I'm stopped you before, Martin. I got man, I got I I watched that movie like three times back to back. I was so impressed, and I was like, oh my god. Uh, matter of fact, I was talking to your your cousin Mike Paul about the uh, when the trailer was released, mm-hmm. um, and I told him the whole story. I was like, "Dude, I read this book. I was like, I don't know how they're gonna do it." Hold off. So, anyways, thanks for coming on, Eric. We're gonna we're gonna let you go. Alrighty. Um, it's been a pleasure. Fantastic, guys. Take care. Have a good. One. Let's wrap this one up. This has been the Valiant Central Podcast, episode one hundred and thirty-eight. With our new friend of the show, Eric Kaiser. We just say that uh, we can say that every episode. Yeah, I think that's going to be our new tagline. We Valiant can have Central a podcast, the new podcast home of Eric Kaiser, or other <laughs> podcasts vague in the Twitter conversation that I created to get him on their show too. Shameful. True story. We're not going to name names, but shame on you. You know who you are. You're listening. Anyways, that's going to be it. Paul's at his Paul. I'm at Geekvine. We are at Valiant underscore Central. And uh, that's it. We'll be back next week and have a good one.